we are in a series called Loving Our Community. And really what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at the, gra the, the grace and mercy of God. And we're taking a look at it towards us and how he wants us to reflect that to others. And we have that on the other part, we've got a twofold focus, our community, local, and our state. Today we're gonna to take a look at the story of Peter and his failures. Reality is we are imperfect people and we live in an imperfect world and we all experience failures in our lives. As I like to say, flops, failures, and fumbles. The night that Jesus was betrayed, two of his friends made some huge mistakes, failures. Judas betrayed him and Peter denied him. Both of those, if you think about it, are actually the same sin. They're just different expressions of it. But Judas rejected the grace and mercy of God and went out and hung himself. Peter accepted God's grace and mercy and became a significant leader in the church. What I wanna do today is I wanna take a look at God's grace and mercy and our failures and what we can learn from Peter's story as we ask ourselves three questions. What causes personal failure what do we have to do to recover from it? And then really the most important question is how does Jesus respond to our failures? So let's jump into this, okay? First of all, what causes personal failure? Well, Peter did three <laughs> wrong things that oftentimes we do. And the first one is this, he overestimated his strengths. Now this is a big cause for failure. When you think you are stronger than you are, you're setting yourself up for failure. Peter's story begins in Matthew 26, where Jesus just had the Lord's Supper, and he tells them, hey guys, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna get arrested, I'm gonna be crucified, I'm gonna resurrect from the grave, and then I'm gonna meet you guys after I resurrect in Galilee. Take, pick up this story in verse 31 of Matthew 26. Jesus said, tonight every one of you will desert me. He's, desert me, <laughs> desert, yeah, desert him. Um, he's talking to his disciples here, okay? He's talking to his band of brothers. This is his small group. For the scripture says that when the shepherd is killed, the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, that's three days later, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Then Peter boasted, here's his first one. But Lord, even if everyone else fails you, I will never deny you. And Jesus replied, Peter, the truth is that before this night is over and before the rooster crows at dawn, you will deny knowing me three times. Peter insisted, but Lord, I'd never do that, even if I have to die with you. And here's this third one, I'll never deny knowing you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. Did you know that? All of them said, hey, we'll never deny you, okay? But Peter was emphatic three times, I'll never deny you, Lord, I'll never deny you. What is going on here? He is overestimating his strengths. A lot of businesses fail because they overestimate their strengths. A lot of battles are lost because they overestimate their strengths. A lot of students flunk out of college because they overestimate their strengths. A lot of spouses fall into temptation because they think, oh, that can never happen to me. 
Take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think I am strong, I can handle this, I'd never fall into that temptation, then be careful, for you could easily fall too. The Bible says when you and I overestimate our strengths, we fall into temptation. And so I say this, whatever you do, don't be naive. Don't be self-confident. No one is exempt. Every one of us, given the right circumstances, can fall. The Bible's pretty clear that the heart is more deceitful than anything else. We don't even know our own hearts, let alone say, hey, I know what you're thinking. No, we don't. Now, not only do we fail because we overestimate our, our strengths, but we also fail because we misuse our strengths. And I don't have time to develop this because we're gonna have a guest speaker. We have Melanie from Hope's Door, but I want you to write this down. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Why? Because of a sense of pride. Our strength secures this victory. Our guard drops. We're working in the zone of our strength and bam, we fail. Why? Because we let our guard down. So I say, never presume where temptation has come from and never overestimate your strength, Peter did. Secondly, we fear the disapproval of others. Now this one is a bigger one. Every time you make a decision based on what other people think, you are sowing seeds of failure. Because when you are more concerned about what other people think, you will go with the flow. You will go with the crowd. You will go along to get along. You will make commitments that you know you can't keep only because you're trying to please other people. Peter did this. Take a look at Matthew 26, 58 and following. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Stop right there. That's a problem. Number two, to the courtyard of the high, high, high priest's palace, he went in and he sat down with the guards to see what was going to happen to Jesus. Stop right there. There's a second problem. As Peter, or as he, Peter, was sitting in the courtyard, a servant girl came up to him and says, you, I recognize you, okay? You were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? But standing there in front of everyone, and there is the operational phrase. Peter denied it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Now think about this. For three and a half years, he Peter had been by Jesus' side. Jesus was the one that buffered all the crises, and now he faces his first crisis on his own. And what does he do? He denies him. I didn't know who you're talking about. I don't know that guy. And why? Because he's worried about what other people think. How many times have we been in a crowd of people and something comes up about Christ, about Christianity, where we have an opportunity to identify with Christ, but we don't? Why? because we're afraid of what they might think. Peter's in this situation. He said, I don't even know this guy. Now, before we go on and we look at the rest of Peter's story, I wanna ask us to give thought to maybe some personal questions. Personally, are you following Jesus from a distance? Watch out. Personally, are you sitting waiting around for something to happen like Peter did? You're being set up for failure. Personally, whose opinion matters to you more than God's? It's an idol. 
But here's the most important question. Have you ever asked yourself why the opinions of others matter so much to you? That is the most important question. And it's the most important question because Socrates says the unexamined life isn't worth living. I say this, the unexamined life sets you up for failure. Because the part of you and me that causes us the most trouble is the part that we don't know about. It's the part that we are unaware of, that we live in the dark about uh, in regards to why we do what we do. And if that's the case, you know what happens? We will never grow. We will just fail again and fail again and fail again. And that failure that may come from the, disappro- the fear of disapproval of others, it could be a hurt. It could be an unmet need. It could be rejection. It could be some traumatic event that happened. Whatever it is, I call it soul pain because oftentimes it is deep and it is hidden. And what it does is it affects how we see ourselves and how uh, and who and and whose we are, and when that happens, oftentimes we can be manipulated by the disapproval of others. Now Solomon talks about this in Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. He says. It is a dangerous trap to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you will be safe. Peter overestimated his strengths. He feared the disapproval of others. The third thing that he did wrong was this, and that oftentimes we do, is that we speak without thinking. Hello, okay? I think this is the most common one, okay? We open mouth and we insert the foot. We speak rationally. We don't pause and consider what we are about to say. And the reason that that happens is that oftentimes when we get in these crunch situations, we are not thinking rationally, but rather we are thinking emotionally. We don't slow down and think, God, Should I say this? When should I say this? How should I say this? With whom should I say this? No, we just say it emotionally. Maybe you've heard someone say, I just say what I feel. You ever heard someone say that? It's almost like I've got this courage. I just say what I feel. That's stupid. That's not being courageous. That's being immature. Children do things like that. When we feel envious, we speak envy. When we feel insecure, we speak insecurity. When we feel afraid, we speak fear. And this is exactly what's going on in Peter's life. Peter is clearly nervous and uptight and afraid. And think about this. This is his first time that he is in this crisis without Jesus right by his side. If you read the story, Jesus is on the other side of the wall. And some lady takes him by surprise. You, right there, you, you're one of them, aren't you? you you're a Galilean. You, you know that guy. And he goes, no, no, no. What's going on? He responded out of emotion, out of fear. Now that happened the first time. It happens again. Take a look at Matthew 26, 71 through 74. Then Peter went out to the entrance of the courtyard, and there another woman saw him. It's always a woman, isn't it? That's a different story. I don't have enough time to develop that thought. Uh, And said to those standing there, this man, pointing, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. And this time he swore. Folks, he's starting to cuss. 
and an oath and said, I don't even know that man. But after a while, the men who had been standing there came over to Peter and says, we know that you are one of them. Now stop there. That is the curse of death right there, isn't it? You are one of them. And that gets said to you at the office, hey, he's one of them. <laughs> You're done for, right? This is what's going on. Peter lost his temper. Oh, because your Galilean accent gives you away. Peter lost his temper and started cursing and swearing. He shouted, I don't know the man. Immediately, he heard the rooster crow. Swearing and cursing is almost a sign of one of two things, frustration or fear. When you get afraid, you go emotional. You don't think rational, you speak emotional. And that is exactly what is going on in Peter here. Now James, the kind of the, 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 the Solomon of the New Testament in the way of Proverbs, James 3 speaks about this. Take a look. The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Anyone want to give a story about this one? This one's a good one. Just a tiny spark can turn, burn up a great force. In other words, this little tongue, it's not very big, but boy, it is powerful. A flame of fire. That part of your body is full of wickedness and can poison everything else in your life. And we know that's true, right? It is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. Peter overestimated his strengths. He feared the disapproval of others. He spoke without thinking. That's what Peter did wrong. Well, what did Peter do right? Because we know the end of the story. Well, he did three things right. And actually, these three things you can use for any kind of failure. It can be a financial failure. It can be a marital failure. It can be a relational failure. It can be a career failure. Whatever it is, these three things that Peter brings to our attention in this story, we can use. And the first one is this. You grieve. You grieve the failure. You don't minimize it. You don't rationalize it. You don't justify it. You don't make excuses for it. You feel the pain. Will you write this down? I've learned this in 40 years of ministry. To get past it, whatever that failure is, whatever that pain is, you've got to go through it. You've got to go through the failure. And, or you, you've, yes, you've got to, to get past the failure, you've got to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You've got to go through it. You have got to feel the pain. Now, the challenge to that is this. We don't like pain. We want to be happy. Nothing wrong with that. That's what we want. Everything should be hunky-dory, okay? We don't like pain, but grief is good. Grief gets us through the failures of life. Grief helps us to learn the lessons from the failures of life. If you don't go through the grieving process, go through the pain, you won't learn and you won't grow. In other words, if you swallow it and choose to just kind of pretend, I, get, I guarantee this, it'll come out sideways somewhere. If it don't go up to God in a way of proper grief, an expression of grief, it will come out sideways in inappropriate ways, an affair, drinking, drugs, bankruptcy, you name it. You gotta grieve. And Peter tells us this. Take a look in Matthew 26. 
75. When Peter heard the rooster crow, he remembered that Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then notice what happens. Then Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Will you circle, wept bitterly. That's grieving. He's disappointing. He's disappointed in his behavior. But he owns it. He's humbled by it. But he owns it. And he grieves. He grieves bitterly. You see, a lot of people, when it comes to their failures, what they want to do is they just want to sweep them under the rug. They just want to pretend that it never happened. Well, I just want to pretend that that fair. Let's just move on. Let's just pretend that it never happened. Let's just pretend that that bankruptcy never happened. Let's just pretend that that business failure never happened. And what happens oftentimes is when that occurs is that they rebound into something worse only because they're trying to go away, trying to get away from the, the original pain. And so I say this. It is okay to feel bad. When you have a failure of any kind, it is okay. I have people coming into my office and they're crying about some failure and they say, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor George, I shouldn't be this way. No, it's okay. It is okay to feel bad. Grief is the way that you get through the transitions of life. As you and I grieve properly, what it does is it puts a nice period on the former and then it helps us to reach for the future. And for that to happen, you and I have to let God work in our hearts. David, after he had this committed adultery, he said this in Psalms 51. The sacrifice God wants is a broken and contrite spirit. God will not reject a humble and repentant heart. He's saying that God is looking for humility. He's looking for brokenness. He's looking for grieving where we lament. God, I don't like this. I know you're a good God, and I know you've got a purpose. And when he sees you and I come to that place where we, in essence, say, I'm resigning from being the manager of the universe, God says, okay, now I'm on your side. Peter does the right thing. He wept bitterly after the rooster crowed. And I bring this to our attention because there is a point there. My guess is that every time Peter heard the rooster crow, he ate crow. I thought that was pretty good, okay? But I bring this up because that rooster crowing years after was a trigger. And you have trigger points. And those trigger points are good because they give you an opportunity to remember, are you gonna focus on you and your failure or are you gonna focus on God and his grace and his mercy? Now, let me tell you this. If you choose to focus in on God's grace and his mercy, let me tell you what Satan is going to do. Satan is gonna switch his tactics on you. You see, when you focus on you and your failure, what Satan does is he minimizes it. Oh, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Well, in fact, continue. It's, not, it's really not that big of a deal. But soon as you decide to focus in on God's grace and God's mercy, he switches his tactic from minimizing the failure to minimizing you. Who do you think you are? 
God would never forgive you. You're just a worthless piece of you know what? Satan switches his tactic from minimizing you or from minimizing the failure to minimizing you. But once you've decided that you understand Satan's tactics and you focus in on the grace and mercy of God, here's what's gonna happen. He's gonna leave you. Why? Because Satan hates praise. And when you get in that mode of focusing in on the positive, of focusing in on the grace and mercy of God, worshiping God in that way, Satan says, I'm out of here, I can't stand this. And he'll leave you alone. Does that make sense? Now, the second thing that Peter did, and this sounds funny, but it's in the text, that you and I need to do is we need to allow our small group to support us. Remember, Jesus started this thing out called his disciples, his band of brothers. It was his small group, and he did it purposefully for Peter and them. After Peter fails, and far as that goes, after the rest of the disciples failed, okay, they end up consoling one another. This story starts out in Mark chapter 16, verse 10. It's scattered throughout the Gospels. But in Mark 16, uh, Mary Magdalene is on her way to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body when she comes in, 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 in contact with an angel. And this is what this angel said. I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Now go tell his disciples, and catch this, go tell his disciples and tell Peter Folks, they're together. In fact, in verse 10, going down, if we had time, you would see that Peter and the disciples were together. It says that they were weeping and grieving together. So he says, go ahead and ahead of you to, to Galilee, and, he, and he'll see you there just as he promised. Folks, when you and I go through any kind of failure, major failure, you must resist the temptation from isolating and insulating yourself. When you go through a bankruptcy, when you go through a loss, when you get laid off from your work, the worst thing that you can do is isolate yourself. We are better together. When we share a sorrow, it's halved. When we share a joy, it is doubled. And Jesus intentionally... I mean, folks, he's God. He could have done it himself. But he intentionally put these band of brothers, this small group together. And where does Peter and the rest of the disciples go after they have this massive failure of denying Jesus? They, they come together to console and comfort one another. In fact, we see this in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. Look at this. That evening, the disciples were together. This is after Easter, okay? Jesus is resurrected. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, suddenly Jesus appeared to them in the middle of the group and said, peace be with you. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Will you circle joy? Will you circle peace? Will you circle Jesus appeared? Folks, when you get in biblical community, and I've experienced this, I, I'm involved in three groups. I've got my life group that have been involved 15 years this coming October, okay? My, my CEO group for seven years, and then my neighborhood group for about four, maybe five years. And I can tell you this, when we come together, Jesus shows up. Sometimes he shows up through what the leader says. Sometimes he shows up through what a guy or a gal in the group has said. But Jesus shows up and he brings comfort and he brings peace and he 
fortifies your spirit. Now, I know I sound like a broken record. But I'm going to say this again. The best time to build a support net group in your life is before the crisis hits. Peter grieved. He allowed his small group to support him. The third thing that Peter did right was this, that he cast himself on God's grace and his mercy. Now, we know that Peter did this because later he wrote about it. In fact, Peter wrote two books. He wrote, or letters, we should say, first and second Peter. And in the very first letter, in the first few verses, he says this in verse three, because of his grace, great mercy. Why did he say that? Because he knew of God's grace and mercy in his life. God has given us a new life. That's what Life Point is all about. We're about new life, re-energized life, revitalized, okay? Uh, new life. By raising Jesus Christ from death, this fills us with a living hope. You see, Peter has this massive failure. But instead of going around living in despair, living in condemnation, living in guilt, living in shame, he lives with hope. Why? Because of the grace and mercy of God. Later in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he will care for you. Why did Peter, why was Peter telling other people to do this? Hey, I want you to cast your cares on the Lord because folks, that's what he had experienced. He cast himself on the grace and mercy of God. And cast there doesn't mean throwing. It means dropping. There's some failures that are so big that, and all the stuff that comes with it, despair and condemnation and shame and guilt, they're so heavy that you can't throw them at the Lord. You just drop them right there. And Peter just dropped them. Okay, I failed. God, I'm done with this despair. I'm done with this condemnation. I'm done with this. Now, how does that look for you and I in the 21st century? One word, praying. It's when you and I come to God and say, God, I don't deserve, I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. I don't deserve to be forgiven by you. I don't deserve for you to show me favor, but God, you're a good God. You're a kind God, you're a gracious God, you're a merciful God. And so God, I am dropping, uh, dropping my guilt, my condemnation, my failures, I'm dropping them on you. And remember, folks, this is the antidote to Satan's strategy. If you focus in on you, he, he will minimize that failure, but you'll live with it. But as soon as you switch to focus in by praying, God, you are a gracious God, a merciful God. I cast myself on you. I don't deserve this, but God, I thank you for it. He will switch his tactics. It's as you and I worship through prayer that God, the devil leaves. And so I say this, when you cast your care, you lose your despair. Why? Why? Because Jesus goes into action. 
And what we see in this story with Peter is that he, that Jesus responds in five different ways. Let's take a look at this out of Luke chapter two or 22. Simon, Simon. Now hold it there for a second. Simon, Simon, this is Peter. He had two names, Simon, Peter, okay? And sometimes they called him Simon, sometimes they called him Peter, okay? It's kind of like me, I'm, I'm George, but I'm PG, okay? I got two names, and Peter had several there. And Simon, Simon, he says, Satan has asked you, has asked to sift you like weak. In other words, I'm gonna turn, I, I'm asking you to, that I wanna turn uh, Peter's crank. I wanna push his button. I wanna wind him up really tight, okay? But I have prayed for you. Jesus is doing this in advance, that your faith should not fail. So when, not if, but when you have repented and turned back to me again, strengthen and build up your brothers. In other words, I want you to take your pain, if your failures, and I want you to use it to build up other people. From this, we learn five things about Jesus and his response. First is that he's never shocked. Take a look. At Psalms 103, verse 14, God certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind that we are dust. God knows our humanity better than we do. I think one of the greatest challenges in life, truly, is for us to accept that we're human. God, I'm human, and I failed. God isn't shocked about anything. Secondly, he prays for you. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And Jesus' prayers are always answered. Take a look at this in Hebrews 7, 25. Jesus is able to save us completely because he lives to intercede on our behalf. He is always talking to the Father, asking him to help us. Jesus, do you realize that? Jesus is in heaven right now. Praying for you. And for me, that's kind of cool, isn't it? We oftentimes think, well, I better call my small group or I better call the pastor. I better write on that card so that my pastor prays for me. Hey, I'm nothing compared to Jesus, okay? I mean, Jesus is praying for you, which leads to the third, third point. He believes in you. That is why he said to Peter, when you repent. He didn't say if you repent. He says, when you repent and turn back to me again. I want you to circle the word when. God believes in you. And he believes in you personally, not just kind of in general. Remember the story when Mary Magdalene went back to the tomb and the angel said to her, I want you to go to the disciples and who? Peter. God knows you by name. You're not just a number to him. He knows you by name. That brings me comfort. Oh, thank you, God. Huh. PG, you're gonna make it. Okay, God, thank you, okay? That is God's grace and that is God's mercy. Fourth, he shows grace and mercy when we're down. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't pile on. He doesn't scorn us. Rather, what he does is he is continually being faithful to bless us. Two weeks after the resurrection, Peter is still stinging from his failure. I think most of us would, right? And, and we know that he is because he goes back to the familiar. Oftentimes when we've experienced a failure, we like to go back to the past. It's quantified, it's secure. I just kind of go back there and kind of, you know, have someone kind of comfort me like that. And Peter goes back to the familiar. He goes back fishing. He's out on the lake fishing. He sees Jesus at the shore. 
you know, Peter, impulsive, he jumps out of the boat. He swims to the, to the shore and Jesus is there. And what did Jesus have ready for him? Remember? Had breakfast ready for him. You see, God is always faithful. Paul said this, even though we are faithless, God is faithful. And he continues to bless and show us grace and show us mercy. I love what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then the last one is that he uses our failures to build his church. Jesus said to Peter, when you've turned back to me again, strengthen your brothers. Build them up. You see, the last thing that we think that God wants to use to build his church is our imperfections, our humanity. And yet that is the very thing that he wants to do. And why is that? Because he gets the glory. And really it is good for us. Today we're gonna hear a little story about Melanie O'Brien from Hope's Door. We're gonna hear about Hope's Door, one of our partners. And so let's give Melanie a big round of applause, okay? Melanie, come on up here. Don't she look good? She's great. One of our partners. That is awesome. Okay, Melanie. Well, you know, we're talking about Peter and failures and that kind of a thing. So let's, let's add some kind of flesh to your, your life, your ministry at Hope Store. You got a story for us about your life and failures? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of failures. <laughs> when, when I talked to PG the other day about, okay, I'm going to ask you about your failures. I'm like, Let's see, which one, which one should I talk about? Because there's a lot of them. <laughs> but um, the first, probably at a young age, when I was 12, I studied ballet, and I took a really intensive summer um, ballet class. And at the end, you tried out for an apprenticeship. And I really wanted this apprenticeship. I wanted to be, you know, ballerina. And I, I didn't get it. And it was devastating to me. But I learned from it. I learned that wasn't the path that mm. God, you know, wanted me on. So I kept dancing. Um, I enjoyed that. But uh, it was a hard lesson to learn at 12. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I think I, you know, I have little failures every day and I just try to embrace them and learn from them. So that's good. Tell us the one about, uh, you shared the first service about the, yeah, the house thing. That, that okay. Was a so a daily failure, I guess, is when, you know, sometimes when we're getting ready in the morning to go to work and, you know, you're in a rush and you're not really back to James and the tongue. You're not really careful about what you're saying maybe because you're in a hurry and you're in a rush. Um, you can maybe say things a little bit nicer to your kids when they're you're trying to get them ready for school, <laughs> your husband. So those kinds of things in daily life, I think at home and at work too, you know, maybe snapping at a coworker or something. So those are all things I think we can learn from. Yeah, I've had a lot of those, especially I have them now obviously, with, even with my older kids. And uh, the Holy Spirit shows up in my life to tell me about them through my wife. And um, <laughs> she does. Cheryl's the Holy Spirit. George, I don't think you should have said that. 
okay. And, I, and I've gotten down on my knees when my kids were younger and just, you know, say, hey, dad was wrong. Your mom made me do it. So, um, well, like you said earlier, it's always the woman, right? Yeah, right. So, it's the woman. Yeah. So it was the woman. So, but uh, tell us a little bit about Hope's Door, okay? Um, Hope Store, we are a um, intimate partner violence, um, intimate partner and fa family violence agency. We have two shelters and we offer programs and services um, to the community and just helping to help people through situations. Maybe they're going through abusive, you know, an abusive relationship and they need help. And we really try to provi provide those services for them and let them know that we're out there to help. It's, it's a staggering statistic. It's one in three wow. uh, women are affected by um, intimate partner relationship violence. Yeah. And it's one in four men in Texas. It affects men too. So um, we offer shelter, um, counseling, programs and services that can, um, we're a refuge for those that are affected. Yeah, I think maybe if, if you're from Plano, you probably heard this, this past week of the, uh, what, nine deaths in a home? That's, that's domestic violence that didn't turn out well at all. Uh, but that's, those are the situations that you deal with at Hope's Door. Right, that, I mean, I don't know if you have seen the pictures of the victims. Uh, I mean, any one of, I mean, it looked absolutely normal. You know, everybody's so, um, in our community, I feel like, you know, every, everything is perfect on Facebook, right? It's mm -hmm. this like surface kind of image that everybody wants to portray and it's so hard. Um, it's shameful for people to come forward, but I really think that, um, especially with the tragedy this past week, people need to realize that if they yep. think something is going on, they need to say something. Now, we're a part of this uh, coalition. Uh, help me with them, I can't always remember, but there's Hope Store, there is uh, Family Promise, there's Shiloh Place, there's Agape, and then there's Collin County Cares, which is, which is us. Tell us your part uh, in the coalition, what's gonna be your expertise? So we are a part of the collaborative and the piece that we're dealing with is child care, child development, right? The holistic um, care of the child. When children are exposed to violence, homelessness, um, when they're, you know, young, they are, they can have toxic stress. Does anybody know what toxic stress is? Toxic stress is stress that is, that it's adverse stress that goes on for a very a prolonged time, so throughout their childhood. If there's abuse in the home, if, there's, if they're homeless and they're moving from place to place and the child is not, um, you know, developing academically because of this um, and mentally and emotionally like they should, um, it can be very, it can have a cumulative effect and actually affect them later in life with things like heart disease and diabetes mm -hmm. and things like that. So we want to get them out of that situation. So with this collaborative, we are helping these women head of households um, with the child care. We want their, their children in a safe environment and we also want to provide for their emotional, academic, and developmental needs. So by doing this, we will secure safe, uh, child care in a safe, by partnering with different child care centers in the community, we'll provide that safe environment for them, we'll provide education, we'll assess their academic um, level and if they need tutoring, and we'll really help them get back on their feet if they're 
behind in school emotionally, we'll provide counseling, things like that. And as you mentioned with your um, little precious seven-year-old, yeah. um, those kinds of relationships yeah. in a child's life, if they have, if their parents are just at a place where they can't provide that, you're doing a great thing because that can reverse yeah. the effects yeah. of toxic stress. Yeah. I wish you all could be in the meetings that I'm involved in with the partners. It's just so exciting to hear their expertise come out and you guys are doing a great job at Hope Store. In fact, tell us a story. Uh, you got a story there at Hope Store? Yes, actually after the first service, um, one of your members came up to me and said, this was, this was amazing. She said that she, 10 years ago, she had a friend who was in a relationship and um, had a son and the controlling behavior, because abuse isn't just physical, it's emotional, it's verbal, it's controlling behavior, right? So she said that she, that this husband had locked, had changed the locks on all the doors and he would leave work and lock her basically in the house so she couldn't leave. Um, he was monitoring her behavior, monitoring all that, and she was, and she found a diary that said that he was planning on killing her. So this member in your congregation, she was so brave and courageous. She removed her friend and her son and her friend's son from the home and took them to Hope's door. And they stayed in our shelter and they were able to, she was able to get the services she needed and she eventually um, got a divorce. And I think she said she moved to Mississippi, the, the client. So, I mean, I was amazed yeah. that that someone in your congregation, you know, shared that story with me. And just one more story, if we have Go time. For it. Okay, I, I didn't mention this before because I completely, I can't believe it slipped my mind, but there's actually an author, her name's CJ Peterson. She was a client in our shelter um, several years ago, and now she writes and she's an author, and she has a series called Grace Restored, okay. and she donates, I think it's 20% of the proceeds of, her, of those books back to us because she, she's been so successful yeah. and just is grateful, so. Thank you for what you do, for obviously for our church, right? Thank you for having me. Now, I always do this with our guest speakers. Melanie, go for it. it it's, it's, it's your platform. Give them your best shot, okay? <laughs> okay, I want to say go Redskins, okay? What? Go, go Redskins. Oh, you I can know, go right? now. Oh, gee. <laughs> and um, I also just want to encourage everybody to be kind to each other because just in this divisive environment yeah. we live in, this world that we live in, it's so important to just really um, be open and loving to people and show them kindness. So that's, that's what I want to end with. I want to thank you for that because my last message is just about that point because that mercy is about kindness. And so thank you very much. Thank you for Let's having me. Let's give it up thank for you. Melanie, okay? All right. Love you. Thanks for being a part of us. So let me finish Peter's story. Before Jesus ascends to the Father, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. And you remember this, I know. He comes to Peter. Remember, Peter's failed three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, well, you know I do. And feed my sheep. Build my church. Peter, do you love me? Well, you know I do. And tend my sheep. 
build my church. Lord, third time, Peter, do you love me? Now Peter's getting, you know, Peter's a little impulsive. He's getting a little heated under the car. Jesus, you know I do. Then build my church. God wants you to use your failures, your flops, your failures, and your fumbles to build the church. If Jesus showed up today and said, do you love me? You would say, I do, Lord, you're here. But then he would say, build my church. Build the single moms that are in this church that have been going through physical abuse, and we have them. Build the marriages that are falling apart. Build the students. Build the community that you're in. Run and give and serve. Build my church because God will get all the glory and it will be for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you know our humanity better than we do and that when we fail and we go, I never thought I would do something like that, that you're not put off by it, but rather you call us to yourself, that we might know and that we might understand that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you delight in who we are, that you know us by name, and that you wanna use us with all our flops, failures, and fumbles. God, I thank you for that. May we be those, as we bask in the grace and the mercy of God, not be reservoirs, but rather be rivers, where we share it, as Melanie said, in a world that is so unkind. Because God, as we do, as we share who we are, as we're real with people, Somehow you draw them to yourself. And God, I'm asking you to do that in our church. I want us to grow in grace and in mercy. I want it to be the hands and the feet, the heart, the eyes of Christ. God, our community needs it. Our world needs it. So help us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.